I want to I want to talk for a moment about Israel and just what's going on in Israel, <clears throat> and because today marks day 16 of a war where uh, the the Hamas terrorists came in. They they crossed the southern border of Gaza. They came over into Israel, and they didn't attack soldiers. They didn't attack um, military. Installations, but they attack civilians. I mean, they decapitated babies. They they uh, raped young girls. They they killed innocent civilians and then pulled them out in the streets and paraded their bodies all the way down the streets. They, I mean, there was I, it's endless the things that they did and are doing now to date. As of yesterday, there was there's over fourteen hundred that have been killed, innocent people innocent people and so I want to share a couple of things because this same spirit the spirit of Hamas which the word Hamas by the way means violence it's literally what the word means but this same spirit has been throughout history I mean you've seen it it was the same spirit in Pharaoh that killed all the firstborn then it was the same spirit in Haman got in him to annihilate all the Jews then it was the same spirit that got in Herod to kill all the firstborn to try and to try and get Jesus somehow the Messiah and then it's the same spirit that came in Herod or, or in uh, Hitler killed over six million Jews and now it's the same spirit in Hamas you know we could look back 50 years to Yom Kippur war and we could see the same spirit there I mean there's just been this constant desire to annihilate a people group entirely uh, today in I in Iran on the sides of their planes it's painted death to Israel the side of their military jets it says death to Israel why is it that everybody wants to kill and annihilate the Israelites the Jews what is it about this little sliver of land in the Middle East that's so important that's so valuable and why, why is all this going on? So why is there such hostility? It goes all the way back to Abraham. You remember Abraham. God promised Abraham. He took him from his home and brought him into the land of Canaan. And he said, I'm going to give you all of this land. Look to the north, the south, the east, the west. I'm giving all of it to you. Do you know that Israel is the only nation on the planet that God himself set the borders. He told everyone, this is Israel's and it won't be anybody else's. Listen, I don't subscribe to replacement theology. You know what the replacement theology is? Is that somehow the church has replaced the Jews? Huh? No, because what that would do is that puts, that puts God in a negative light. That's contrary to scripture where God said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So God gave it all to Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham in his old age, in Sarah's old age. And he said, Sarah, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him Isaac. Sarah didn't believe God. Sarah thought, you know, I'm going to help God out. And so she gave her maid, maidservant, Hagar, to her husband, Abraham. She got pregnant, gave birth to a boy, named him Ishmael. Ishmael is Islam today. God said, I will bless Ishmael. 
I'll make 12 nations of him. And God has kept his word. He has blessed Ishmael. But that's why that all this is going on because it goes back to that they're, they're saying, no, no, wait, wait. Ishmael, think about it. There's always been this brother war. There's been a lot of brother wars going on. That goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. But think about, think about Ishmael. He's the firstborn. The firstborn is the one that's supposed to inherit everything. He didn't. Because he wasn't the promise. He was the son of the bondwoman. Isaac was the son of the free woman. And see, God gave it to Abraham. And Abraham's seed. Seed singular, not plural. What is the Bible talking about there? Abraham's seed is Jesus. And guess what? In Jesus... We were a part of that inheritance. We've been grafted in. That means any Muslim person that's from Islam, any person that's a German, that's Polish, that's Swedish, that's Russian, that's Ukrainian, that's Mexican, it doesn't matter. You can come into the family of God. You can be grafted in. God loves everybody. I want you to know, my heart is in Palestine. I know that there are people in Palestine that have true and sincere hearts because they're being used as human shields. They, Hamas won't even let them leave. I, there's a great place. I've been watching a CBN on, on YouTube, CBN News, because they've been doing day to day, and they've got a guy that's been there for 27 years that's on the ground, that has relationship, and they interview the generals in the military and the IDF and, and so it's a great place to get you know to get information um, but he was talking about how they're using these people as human shields the Hamas the Israelites sent messages to all the people in Palestine get out leave flee from the nation because we're coming in and we're going to do business I wouldn't mess with Israel I just wouldn't. I mean, they're God's people. And and they are coming in. But sadly, there's people in there that are innocent, that have good hearts, that are going to be used. But uh, what we're going to do this morning is, is we're going to pray. But let's think about Palestine for a minute. I thought this was so interesting because there was a, there was a Roman emperor, and his name was Titus. And Titus was the one that when he came in and they took over, he destroyed the temple that Solomon built. He destroyed it. And then later, there was another emperor, uh, Hadrains. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, He reigned between 117 and 138 AD. And he renamed Judea. Palestine is actually what used to be Judea, which Judea is where the Jews got their name, Jews. That's where the name Jews comes from. And so he renamed it Syria-Palestine after the ancient enemy of Israel, the Philistines. It was, uh, it was the final insult to the Jewish people who had been driven out of that land. So this has been going on a long, long time. And so, I, I, so this is nothing new. The Bible, said, the Bible says in the end of days that there will be wars, rumors of wars. All these things are going to happen. What we're seeing is that the prophetic clock already started ticking. And that's what we're seeing is a prophetic clock. And so here's what I want to pray this morning. 
make sure there's nothing else that was in my heart to say on that um i want to pray this morning uh definitely that that they will succeed in their mission to destroy hamas but what's happening now is up north i believe it's in lebanon is where hezbollah is and one of the commentators said it this way he said he said um hamas is like is like a is like a farm baseball team he said but but hezbollah is like major league because they've got a lot more firepower they've got a lot more capability in hezbollah and so and we have a president and an administration i mean that decided to give six billion dollars to a terrorist nation a nation that and it, it makes no sense on that front but i will say i've been pleased to hear on the other side um, this kind of support that we're giving to israel and that that we're standing with them well we as a church i want i just want to go on record as saying that we stand with israel we want to see hamas defeated we, we, we want to see hezbollah let me tell you here, here's what it is it's not so much the people it's satan it's the enemy He's working behind the scenes. He's manipulating who he can manipulate to try and destroy what he can destroy. He wants to annihilate the Israelites because he knows the end is imminent. Think about it. He knows scripture. He quoted it to Jesus. So if he knows scripture, he, he's read Revelation. He knows what's coming. And, oh, it's coming quick. And it's going to be a joyous day. But I'm telling you, we can walk in victory today we can experience heaven on earth as christians and, and and because we have that right we need to pray for israel we need to pray for israel that you have the orthodox jew and you have you have christian jews so the orthodox jew this this begin to separate um i mean there's a whole history that you can read um about how that uh Christians used to, be, used to be called followers of the way. Followers of the way. Well, at that time, they were still Jews. It was just another sect of Jews. But when, when they were called Christians at Antioch, that was where a separation began to happen. And they began to say, you're followers of Christ. We are followers of God and Moses. You know, I mean, it, and so this separation began to happen. God loves them all. He loves them all. He cares about all of them. So would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray <clears throat> over Israel. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Let's just begin to pray in the Spirit just for 60 seconds. Would you pray with me? You guys are facing east. I'm going to face east. Father, we just thank you right now for Israel. Lord, we pray over them. We pray for the peace of Israel. God, we pray, Lord, that your perfect will would be done. Lord, that evil would be stopped. We pray protection over innocent Palestinians. We pray protection over the people of Israel. 
God, I thank you that in past times and in history, you came and you fought for your people. Lord, we cry out to you and we thank you for intervening. Lord, for stopping the hand of Hamas, stopping the hand of Hezbollah, stopping the hand of Iran, and anyone that supports terrorists. God, I thank you. God, we as free people and as Christians, God, we stand with Israel. And we thank you, Lord, for saving that nation. We thank you, Lord, it belongs to you. They're your people. And so we stand on your protection, Lord, that you promised in the word of God. Lord, that that land belongs to them and the Israelites belong to you. And Lord, we thank you that we've been grafted in and because we've been grafted in, we are family members. We are brothers and sisters. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Give your neighbor a smile and you can be seated. It's good to smile, isn't it? Uh, okay, let me pull myself together. Would you turn over to, thank you, Rebecca. Would you turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And, uh, yeah, man. So I had an interesting thing happen yesterday morning. I woke up. And uh, I didn't have to be up immediately, which felt good. You know, it's nice when you wake up and you got time to lay <laughs> there. And uh, so I was just laying in bed, and but I was really thinking about Vision Church and thinking about um, where we're at and what God's done. And I was thanking Him for His goodness. Uh, but then I began to contemplate where we want to go and desires that we have in our hearts. And I began to think about that. And, um, and I began to ask the Lord if there was anything in my heart that was a hindrance to him being able to do what he wants to do in my life. And, you know, when, and whenever you're willing to ask that, he's willing to show you. And, and, he, and a person came to my mind automatically. And, I, and so then I woke up, got up, and I started reading in Second Corinthians chapter 2. So I want to read to you beginning in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, and I'll explain it along the way, but it says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you. Now, Paul is talking about a guy that had really hurt people in the church. And so he had written um, to the church to bring correction to this guy. So he says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you in many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So he's talking about the correction that came to this man was sufficient. And then he said in verse 7, he said, So that on, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. 
Now think about that. That's interesting. And then verse 8, he says, Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, um, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So I think it's interesting it leads into that scripture in verse 11. So as I'm reading this, God highlights verse 8 to me in this. Again, verse 8, therefore I urge you, reaffirm your love for him. And then the Holy Spirit said this. Forgiveness is something that you must give. It's, it's seen. It's visible. It's, it's apparent. You can see it on a person's face when they've truly forgiven you. Right? <clears throat> Those of you that have been forgiven. And so, so I started thinking about this person. I had already thought about this person. And in my heart, I was consoling myself with the thought and the idea that I've already forgiven them. In my heart. I forgave them. But my forgiveness is incomplete according to what I just read. Because verse 8 says, Therefore I urge you, reaffirm your love for them. Okay, go with me on this because I'm... I'm going to have to dig in here. Lord, help me say it correctly. So revealing forgiveness toward them is incomplete without this. Or, or, you know, forgiving them in my heart is incomplete. That's just in my... Because here's how I knew it it was incomplete. Um, And anytime somebody would mention their name, all those feelings would rush back. The hurt, the pain, what they did, can't believe, you know, and oh, I wish I'd done this different. And the rehearsing, the hurt. That's how you know that your forgiveness is not complete. Because you're still, well, you know, Phil, some things take time. Well, I've done a lot of ministry in retirement centers. And I've met people that are holding on to things from 20, 30, 40 years ago hurt in their life they've because their forgiveness either they haven't forgiven or they forgave in their heart but they still held a grudge you can forgive in your heart but you can still hold them accountable we like to say but really it's penalizing we want to penalize okay so you know i so i needed i needed confirmation on this and um or closure, I mean. And uh, I remember when my granddad died, my granddad and I had a special relationship. And when he died, um, I went to Kansas to go to the funeral. And when I got there to Kansas, they had a visitation. They opened up the casket. And I don't, I know, I don't want to be morbid, but I know everybody's different in this. But for me, I, if it's a, especially if it's a loved one, someone I was close to, I want to see the, the cadaver or what's, what's it called? The, you know? I want to see their body. I want to just, because it just closes for me that, yeah, they're gone. (laughs) They're in heaven. 
you know, even if it doesn't look like them. But that's the thing. So forgiveness is something that is evidenced in your response to the person who wronged you. That's the evidence of it. That's where forgiveness is truly revealed. It's in how you respond to them. I just got this yesterday morning, so I'm just really, this is real tender for me. So, so I read this scripture and my heart is convicted. And then guess what happens? My phone dings. And guess who it is? The person. They are texting me, asking me to forgive them. I just went, wow. I didn't want to read the text at first, you know. I just saw the name and went, oh. I mean, you know. But then I read the text and saw they're apologizing. I just went, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, I'm opening the door for you to walk this through. I'm opening the door for you to be able to show them and reaffirm your love for them. Wow. So let's read that scripture again in verse 8. It says, Therefore I urge you to reaffirm or assure. The same meaning is the word assure. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm or assure your love for them. This is what the IVP New Testament commentary had to say about these verses. It says this, "It It is the corporate responsibility of the church to punish wrongdoing to excommunicate in the case of persistent sin. And I'll define what that is in a minute. Or to reinstate the repentant. Notice that. Reinstate the repentant. This is exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, hey, he messed up. He didn't do the right thing. He hurt everybody. I wrote you about it. You called him on the carpet about it. He admitted the wrong. But now... You reinstate him. See, because what I see a lot of is excommunication, revoke, revoke, <laughs> revoke. What happens? We get hurt. We, we unfollow them. We, we unfriend them. We throw all that to the side and we say, you know what? We ghost them. Ouch. Won't even respond. There's no hope. For what? There's no hope for that word I just said. Reinstatement. There's no hope for reinstatement. God's not called us to that as Christians. He's called us to to love people. Now, if trust has been broken, I know. Okay, I, I know. But where in Scripture does it does the Bible say, hey, you're supposed to set a boundary so far that they'll never be able to be reinstated? In the area of forgiveness. I'm not saying that they're supposed to be your close friend still. You know, if people have broken that trust, I mean, there's, they gotta, they gotta earn that trust back. You know? But, that's not, that doesn't give us permission to hold them prisoner to what they did. Because in holding them prisoner, Guess who you're holding? You're holding yourself prisoner. You're in shackles. You put somebody else in shackles. Guess who's in shackles with them? Yeah. Okay. So I read that verse. So, so I'm good. 
So, but Phil, what if, what if I go to the person and I affirm my love for them, but they don't accept my love? They don't accept that. They don't forgive me in return. I remember, I remember one time the Lord convicted my heart. And, oh, it was so strong in me that I was supposed to forgive this guy, but he wanted me to go to him. And he and I, had, man, we'd had a lot of this going on. And I, I went to him. I got with him. I gave him my best handshake, my most sincere face that I could give. And I said, I just want you to know I'm sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And he looked at me and he just went. And I remember walking away from him because that, that didn't feel good. And I remember walking away from him going, man, ow, God. I said, he didn't, he didn't forgive me. God said, it doesn't matter. You affirmed your love for him. You forgave him. I'm responsible for this guy. I'm responsible for my heart. I care. I care greatly for him. And, and I hope that eventually he forgave me. Because he needs to. For his sake. Not so much for my sake. Is this making sense? Okay, so let's look at what, a, what persistent sin looks like. You're there in uh, 2 Corinthians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. I just wanted to quickly show you what this looks like. When the Bible talks about persistent sin, and in verse 5, in verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9, it says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. <clears throat> Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or the covetous, extortioners, idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But now I have written you to not keep company with anyone named a brother. What's a brother? It's a fellow Christian, yeah. A brother or a sister named a Christian who is sexually immoral or covetousness or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, which is verbally abusive, a drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what and why? It's not because you just excommunicate the person. It sends a message. I don't want to go eat with you. It convicts, it's supposed to help bring conviction to their heart, open a door for God to be able to work in them. That's why he asks us to do this. So it says, for what, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Why? He can feel convicted in his heart. You know, there could be a righteous shame that could happen and he can come back to God. So, man, but we've, we've become so good at revoking people, but not very good at reinstating them. And um, I, I mean, this is, this is like, a, like a nonprofit organization that I know, okay, can I just be honest? It's me. Um, we have another 501c3 nonprofit organization besides the church. And so um, with that, when, I, when we started that 501c3, that nonprofit, it was years ago. And it was for our traveling ministry that we were traveling in before we came here. And so they told me, I remember when we got approved and got our 501c3, the, 
the the guy that helped me, he said, now, you're going to want to make sure that you file every year. Well, I was faithful to file every year, but for some reason, the last three years, I didn't receive the reminder in the mail, which for a guy like me, I'm dependent on the reminders. And so I didn't fill out the reminder. And so anyway, they were revoked, or 501c3. So now, I, now I've, I've reapplied because I want to be reinstated, right? And so, anyway, don't worry, those of you, if you, anybody in here that supports that, because it's pro, it's retroactive. But anyway, and so we sent in the application. We we did the application. We we paid the fee that they asked us to pay. And a month later, I get a letter. Now you filled out the wrong form. You don't qualify for this form. You need to fill out this form. And I'm like, but isn't that sometimes what we do to people? Is we make it difficult for them to get reinstated? No, you've got to fill out this form. And what it is, is a form of punishment. No, you didn't do that right. Well, you didn't, yeah, you still got to, I don't know. And it's like, no, no, Jesus didn't do that. Wait a minute, Jesus had Judas on his staff. And not only that, he had him watch the money. How would you let a guy that steals watch the money? But he did. It's, it's amazing to me. Anyway, so we create this process sometimes. See, human nature is to punish people that hurt us. It's to set boundaries. Why? So we don't have to forgive them. It's, it's a prolonging of forgiveness, of extending forgiveness and reaffirming your love for people. I was listening to a podcast and Benny Perez, who's a pastor out in Las Vegas, he was, he was talking about how he, I guess he had some people on his staff prior that had done some things wrong and they had, they no longer worked for the ministry. And his staff came to him one time, a couple of the guys, and they said, one of them said, Pastor Benny, how long are you going to make us pay for what these other people did? And he said, you know, you're right. You're right. He got convicted. And that's what I'm believing God is happening in here this morning, that there's some people in here that are getting convicted in their heart, that God's already dealing with you on some things in that way. <clears throat> See, um, where was that? Benny Hinn. Oh, when we were at the uh, pastor's conference, Francis Chan read this scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians as well. And it's uh, 12 verse 21 where it talks about, that chapter talks about the body of Christ. And it's to the point in verse 21 where it says, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. See, right now you see I have a lot of body parts and I need them all because they all function together. They all work together. I have body parts you can't see. And they're functioning together, which is why I'm standing, why I'm breathing in oxygen and exhaling whatever you exhale. What do you exhale? Ah, thank you. Yeah, you guys know. So I don't. But anyway, but Francis Chan said this. He said, listen, you can't say to other parts of the body of Christ that you don't need them. And that's what you're saying when you cut them off, when you ghost them, when you refuse to give them an opportunity to come back and be reinstated in your life. They may not be reinstated at the same level. But they need to be reinstated. All right? 
Okay, everybody's seeing that. So, so we don't have the right to discard members of the body. We need them. Amen. So here, here's the thing. I was telling my daughter this because we were talking about this yesterday, which my daughter's here. Would you stand, Becca? We're so glad you're here. And uh, we're proud of her and Josh. They're doing a great job in Tulsa. And, but I was telling Becca this. You know, whenever God brings correction, whenever he brings a word like this, and, and, and maybe it's corrective or he speaks to your heart, and he brings a correction, that correction is always for one purpose. It's so he can bring you closer to him. That's the reason. It's to get you and I, to get us free so that there's no hindrances in our life so that we can be close to him. So in thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about my pastor, uh, Billy Joe Doherty, which, by the way, um, three weeks from now, Pastor Sharon Doherty will be here ministering. I'm really excited about that but pastor billy joe went home to be with the lord um already and but i remember one time he had uh it it was the end of the service he had an altar call some people came forward and he was going down the line and he was praying for people and so he prayed for this person prayed for this person this person then got to this guy and he prayed for him and he went to move to the next person and this guy hauled off and he slugged him in the eye just punched him I mean, he was bleeding <laughs> and, and Billy Joe went back and then the guy lunged after him. Well, by then the counselor and the, a couple of ushers, you know, came in and they had him, they had him taken out and Billy Joe is bleeding. So he, you know, he pulls out his hanky and he's just wiping the blood and he's just continuing to minister. I saw it. We were at that time we were working on staff at a church in Austin, Texas, and I saw it on television. I saw it was, it made national news. And I was like, Pastor Billy Joe, because I recognize everybody, recognize the place. And then, then the guy pops him in the eye. And what was funny, well, anyway, my phone rings later that day, and it's Pastor Billy Joe. He's coming to Austin to, he had some stuff that he needed to do before they went overseas. And he called me, and, and I said, Pastor Billy Joe, I just saw you on television. He goes, Yeah, probably about that guy that punched me. And I said, Yeah. I said, I said, how are you? Are you okay? <laughs> he goes, well, he said, you know what's funny is that I, I was preaching on walking in love that morning. And then he gets socked in the eye. Well, here's what happened. I found this out later. He didn't tell me this, but I found this out later. That when the service was over, Pastor Billy Joe found out where they took that guy and he went. And he ministered to him. And he affirmed his love for him by forgiveness. Later, he wrote a book called Knock Down But Not Out. <laughs> but you know what I'm thinking? Rebecca, could you come help me? I'm thinking there's some people in here that maybe you've been knocked down and you've let it knock you out. That you've decided to hold on to the hurt hold people at bay, hold them captive to the sin that maybe they sinned against you. And today is our day. I said it's our day to get free. Because see, what happened to me yesterday morning, I didn't realize was really going on. But maybe you're like I was. Maybe there's this person and all you have to hear is just their name. And suddenly, 
all those feelings come up. You know what that is? God is trying to help you see that you need to get free. That's all that is. It's an opportunity to get free. It's an opportunity to let go of hurt, to let go of what people have done. People are going to do stuff. It's going to happen. Jesus promised. He said, persecution is going to come. He said, offenses are going to come. But did you see that verse, verse 11 in that scripture in 2 Corinthians? Look at verse 11 again. It says that lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are ignorant if we refuse to forgive. If we decide to hold on to it, well, Phil, you don't understand. I don't think I can forgive them. You don't know what they did. I don't. You're right. But I know what Jesus did. And I know that if you hold on to it, it's not hurting them. It's going to hurt you. Let me read another verse to you. John 20. Turn over there, John, John 20, real quick, in closing. John 20, verse 27. I believe this is the one. You might have to help me, honey. taking you to the wrong place. Please stand by. Is it 2023? Oh, thank you. Maddie, thank you for helping me. Look at what it says in 20, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So what you're doing when you refuse to affirm the love in another person, when you refuse to reinstate them, you refuse to forgive them, you are holding on to their sin. Their sins are retained because you refuse to forgive. You refuse. Here's how I mean this. The best example I can think of is, is a person that she was in our, um, she was singing our choir when we were in Austin. And she was a young single mom. Her and her sister were both abused sexually by her dad, her sister more than she was. Um, and I mean, it was just an awful situation. She refused to forgive and held on to it for years. She read this scripture and, and it went off in her when she read it in 20, verse 23. And she decided, I, I, I'm going to go and forgive him by faith. Because she said, I'm not feeling it inside, but we can't go by our feelings. I mean, you can't go by your feelings in Christianity, period. You, you just can't, you know, because they're going to be there happy one day, sad the next. I mean, your feelings are up and down. And so she went and talked to her dad. By this time, her dad had gotten so old that he had developed cancer. He was on hospice. So he's, he's in the final stages of his life. And she went to him and she said, Dad, I just want you to know I forgive you for what you did. I forgive you. Her dad, little did she know, 
He broke. She led him to the Lord, gave his life to the Lord. He asked her to forgive him. And then he led two of the nurses to the Lord before he finally went home to be with the Lord. Just a few days later. She said, I had no, I had no honest idea that I could be the, one, the very one that was in the way of God being able to minister to my dad through unforgiveness. Look at what, look at what forgiveness does. I mean, it changes your heart. Guess what? When you forgive when, and, then, and then you affirm that forgiveness with the person, I'm not saying you have to bring it up and rehash it again. Don't. Don't. Here's what apology sounds like. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Good job. Did the, you know what? You know what apology is not? I'm sorry, but you just messed it up. You just, you just canceled your apology. Okay. All right. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes all around the room? <clears throat> Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that God is here to uphold you. He doesn't care He's here to uphold you. He loves you so much. He's not here to shame you. But I think it's about time that all of us, just like I did yesterday morning, that we get honest with ourselves. We get vulnerable. And we be willing to admit if there's unforgiveness in our heart. And I know for a fact just because I know human nature. I know for a fact as I've been talking, if there is unforgiveness somewhere, somebody's name has popped up in your, in your mind and in your heart. And you know who that person is that you need to forgive. And you need to affirm that forgiveness by reaching out in a text or an email or face-to-face if, it, if you can. And affirm that in them. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray over you. If that's you, nobody looking around. I'm not looking for counts of hands. But if that's you, would you raise your hand all around the room? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. I, the, the important thing, you can put it down. God is the one that needs to see it. Because he sees a recognition of it in your own heart, in your own life. And what we're going to do is... I bet. <laughs> 